You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to the David's Pick Show, as a matter of fact, and we've got a uh, special guest on today. Mr. Tom Foster, and I should uh, probably uh, be standing as I say that because he's one of the uh, the real heroes that came back from Vietnam, was a draftee, as a matter of fact, and uh, served his time in Vietnam, and uh, we're just very fortunate to, uh, to have him in studio today, and he'll be obviously talking about his tours. Welcome to America's Web Radio, Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much. And... Uh, uh, it's good to be here. It is. Uh, I, we appreciate you uh, coming in, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about nothing. Uh, hmm. Okay, well, we seem to be having a little bit of a technical problem, which happens on occasion. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, when, when did you uh, get drafted, Tom? Uh October of 1966, about a month after I became 19. That was the uh, magic word back then, the magic number. 19. 19 so was it. Didn't there was no uh, lottery or anything when I got in. They they came up with the the great new idea of uh, the lottery after the draft. And uh, I must say, when I went in, um, I went into basic in. Uh, the end of 69 first to 70 and um we had a mixture we had part volunteer part drafted and part lottery and uh there was uh, quite a uh quite an interesting thing in that uh, uh it, it was rather diverse and uh and i had one platoon that uh, everybody was a college graduate and uh, it was uh, entirely different from uh, other platoons. Uh, you saw all spectrums of the uh, of the scale, as a matter of fact, as I'm sure you did as well. So, um, anyway, it was a, a trying time, and uh, it was a try time that uh, you know we talked about a lot of things. Well, if you can uh, be drafted at 18 and serve your country then why can't you drink or why can't you this or why can't you vote and uh, you know it was uh, a lot of discussions around um, Vietnam and in that era so you went to I believe you did your basic in Colorado yes Fort Carson Colorado out of 24 months in the service I stayed at Fort Carson Colorado for 15 if you can imagine that yeah something else and uh, I think the other thing we have in common is the blue braid, and uh, the light blue braid. And a lot of folks don't know what that means, but it means uh, 11 Bravo, which is light arms infantry. And uh, I don't know. We also had uh, Charlie companies, which were uh, uh, martyr companies. And uh, I don't know what braid they had, but uh, you I know, think they had the blue. They had the they blue. They had the blue too. Yeah, they were right part of an infantry group. Okay, they so were right in there with them. We uh, got it yet? Or, oh, okay. Uh, we uh, uh, both of us. I was told, and I did it anyway, not to 
wear my uniform outside or off post, uh, particularly if you were traveling through airports or anything like that or train stations and whatever. And uh, I made it, well, I didn't make the mistake. I, I was proud to be in the Army, you know, and uh, I wasn't anything like you, and I don't profess to have been any <laughs> any anything. I was a reservist, and but I was proud that I'd gone through the infantry training and AIT, Advanced Infantry Training, and uh, uh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't as... As I look back on it, I had a very nice and and I enjoyed Fort Ord, and I enjoyed the people that you got to meet, and uh, I was proud to wear a uniform, and I came back with my blue infantry braid and my uh, uh, ascot, is that right? Yeah, that's a blue ascot you wore, yeah. And uh, was spit on, or spit at, not on, Uh but spit at, coming through Hartsfield. And, uh, you know, it it was... uh, I don't want to say humbling. It was just I, they could, I couldn't believe. And uh, even by the time I got back into Atlanta, uh, friends that are that I knew in my platoon and in my company had already died in Vietnam. And uh, you know, and and I just couldn't understand why people wouldn't have respect for the uniform. Somebody got in there and turned things around, didn't they? Oh, yeah. That's basically what happened. I think they pretty well had a, a lock on some of the news media, and they could get about anything over that they wanted. It was it was very sad. I, uh, I was the same as you when I came home from Vietnam. I went through... Uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, and I came home in October of 68. They didn't, I knew the stuff was going on in some of the airports, but uh, um, I, I hadn't, they didn't tell us not to wear our uniform or anything at that time. We could go ahead and use it, wear your uniform, and it, it wouldn't have been a good idea to spit on me, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it could have been very embarrassing for the guy who did that. <laughs> well, it was, um, people, uh, just didn't understand and and uh it, it was a war that um you know it's it's sort of like the uh carter classic during during the uh iranian situation when he sent the the planes in and was going to rescue the and you know and i i'm not this is not criticizing the united states some of the leaders, and I, I would, and I've said this on many, many shows, is that if the United States has ever failed in anything, it's foreign policy, and it's because we, and as you mentioned when we were talking out in the in the lobby, uh, you've been there, done that in many, many countries, and many of our politicians have never been anything but politicians and have never gone anywhere, much less been shot at and uh, for them to make decisions and if, if uh, the one thing that we've always in my opinion had a problem with is foreign policy now I'll go a step further that was true in Vietnam we we thought all wars were fought on an open plane and and uh, you could see your enemy since uh, the revolutionary war and one platoon would stoop down as the other one shot over them and so forth and so on. And we found out in Vietnam that there's a jungle out there, and that's a whole different thing. And then we did like uh, the Carter Desert Classic. Uh, he didn't know what dirt would do to an airplane. <laughs> and uh, 
we found out about that and and uh after carter's debacle uh when we went into uh desert storm and so forth we were prepared mm-hmm. and we they had adjusted the tanks and everything else to to handle and the and the helicopters let me speaking of helicopters what was the best sound you could hear in vietnam the chop, chop, chop of a chopper coming in to uh, either give you uh, aid or to rescue you or take you to the hospital, one one or the other, usually. I think yeah, they were all over the place. And uh, those pilots, if I had a hat on, I'd be taking it off and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, saluting them. They, uh, the pilots that flew the Hueys and, and flew the dust-offs, and, uh, and folks, if you don't know what a dust-off is, and unfortunately you got the... Flying a dust off, I think. A couple times. That's called an air ambulance. Air ambulance, exactly. And and uh, those guys uh, just were amazing in my in my book. and uh, and the nurses, like, and we're going to have Donna Rowe on uh, next week, I believe. And she's she uh, she she was a a dust off nurse, and uh, it, it just the. You know, Vietnam, in my opinion, again, was so different from any other war that we had ever fought. And you're over there listening on your TIAC or your Akai that, that uh, we were not in a real war in Vietnam. What do you say to that? Um, to get a real good description of the war, I, I uh, heard this said years ago, and I thought, boy, that sounds about like what it was like. Now, uh, we went over there. I went over there to, to defeat the communists, to stop the communists from spreading all over the world. That was my idea, and we were going to go in and whip them, uh, literally beat them. Well, uh, it was the old the old saying used to be, fight with one hand tied behind your back, win the battle and not the war. That was a bit different. Yeah, In World War II and those kind of wars, they used every weapon in our arsenal. In ours, no. Very seldom even B-52s and never any any nukes. By any means, so but we we handled the enemy quite handily. Our our uh, leadership just kept letting us down time after time after time. You know they would uh, make promises, and then uh, and I guess something else that I that a lot of folks don't know. But this was uh, not only a political war. Vietnam was not only a political war, but it was also a financial war that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, our president at the time, Mr. Johnson, and his wife, Lady Bird, made a kajillion dollars off of. I have a good friend that was uh, shore patrol, and um, they would, uh, you know, handle anything on uh, sort of like the Coast Guard, but the, the shore patrol was Navy, and um, they would guard and quote and protect incoming vessels that were bringing in supplies to the military and uh, you know I don't want to say scuttlebutt but because it wasn't it was the truth uh, they knew what the hell they were doing and uh, somehow or the other ladybirds ships would come in they would be put first in line by the yard. I think it was a yardmaster. Is that right? I think that's what you call them. Yeah, and uh, somehow they would get bumped to the front of the line, get unloaded, and back out to sea to go pick up another round of supplies. And um, it's unfortunate that 
that we had a president that was that callous and that money hungry that uh, and um, other stories that we don't we haven't heard about of of and won't hear about probably of of the things that went on and the contraband and the and the black market of Vietnam and everything else but it was a uh, an amazing war let me ask you if you okay drafty going in um I guess you're about 20, 19, you said. 19 to okay, 21. 19. That, was, that so, was a magic word. A magic so, uh, you know, you had to be a little concerned about going. What did what did you find out, and what was the first impression that you got uh, going out to Colorado and going into uh, basic? You know, it's really kind of humorous because as young kids, still in high school, Vietnam was starting up, okay, and a lot of our dads were World War II veterans. So we'd get out on the football field or just out hunting together or fishing together, and we'd start discussing it. I remember one of my buddies, he had the answer to it all. He said, look, you know, my dad fought in World War II, he said, and yours did too, Foster. He said, but look, it's it's 1960 now. Uh, that war lasted four years. So we won't even be out of high school, and it'll be over. And that's the kind of, you know, we thought that was the case. And if they would have fought to win that war, that would have been the case, because no one can stand our our full military might if we decide to unleash. Um, And we didn't start doing anything until the B-52s started dropping their packages. Operation Linebacker 2 in uh, December of 1972, in 11 days, the enemy threw in the towel that quickly. Isn't that sad? After 10 years of bloody ground fighting, and there's a book out, 11 Days of Christmas is called, and mm-hmm. you can get that, and it's by a guy who witnessed all of it and, and wrote about it. He wrote about the enemy gunners, and he wrote about our B-52 pilots, and that was something. And where were you uh, Where were you sent initially in Vietnam? Um, around Coochie, Tain In, um, it was uh, during the Tet Offensive, so anywhere the enemy was, and you and I had our blue braid on, anywhere the enemy were, we were. And uh, we had plenty of people to tangle with, if you know what I mean, because they were looking for trouble, and so were we. During the Tet Offensive, I believe they slipped about 80,000 spare troops in our area that caused quite a problem for us. But we handled it. It wasn't any fun by a long shot. It went 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And sometimes longer. Do you still t- stay in touch with uh, some of the friends that you made in uh, Vietnam or in? Uh... I have a few. If you if you recall, about ninety percent of those casualties on that wall in D.C. were infantry. Right. And uh, so not all of them are left. Are you familiar with the fact that uh, the uh, Johns Creek? Uh, Veterans Association yes. has a wall. Yes, that's quite wall. a thing. They've and, got quite a veterans memorial there, from what I've what I've heard. Yeah, and uh, that's how I got all of this started, as far as the station goes. With oh, wow. uh, uh, some of those, I've been to it, and they even with my uh, saying I'm not. I don't feel I'm a veteran. I certainly sure, you are. You're a veteran, like like they are, and like you are. But uh, they've been super nice and. Uh, we're going to support them, and they're going to be having a having the wall up very shortly again. Yes, and uh, so I want to I want to talk about the Georgia because I had until then until I went to the JC meeting, um, I was totally unaware of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, you're you have been 
brought into the Hall of Fame. Um, And they're having uh, Rick, uh, who's sort of in charge of it all, uh, Colonel. Rick White, um, yep. He uh, was mentioning the other day that uh, they got an indoctrination coming up in November down in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, Fort Benning area. Fort Benning, yeah. And uh, I just want to tell everybody that uh, it's downtown. Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, as an indoctor, inductory, inductors, what is it? Uh, <laughs> as a member of it, inductee, inductee. <laughs> what what has it meant to you, Tom? It uh, hey, it gave me uh, full stripes to say I'm a veteran now. If you recall, we got uh, a bad homecoming, and a lot of guys uh, for the longest time wasn't necessarily me were afraid to pull their head out of the sand when they came home. And when I was uh, put up for that medal, I didn't think I had a prayer. And uh, they go over all your military records and so on, and I was finally inducted. And what uh, uh, that that uh, validated my whole military existence of two years and, and all the Purple Hearts I got and all that stuff. Um, for once... Uh, and here's a beautiful, beautiful medal that they uh, that they gave us. It's it's just a, a gold medal, and uh, that made me whole. I got it on my sh- in my shadow box back home, and it's the greatest. I appreciate uh, Rick White and Paul Longier and their whole crew for what they've done for the veterans. You know, uh, with all that went on as you were coming back and everything else, and as I look at Vietnam friends I don't think there's a more humble group of people than Vietnam veterans it's um, in how you know they sort of scratch one foot and say oh shucks not me <laughs> and uh, they're just a heck of a group of, of men and women they went through a lot that a lot of people didn't go and that brings you together, basically. And uh, I just enjoy it. I, I never laugh so hard till a bunch of veterans get together and we start cracking up because you're just brothers. You become brothers and sisters when you've been through that. You know, the military in general is probably the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world. Yep. And you made an interesting point uh, a minute ago out in the lobby about, uh, you, you know, you can spot a veteran almost a mile away and uh, I had recently had an occasion that uh, uh, I was a place and a, and a guy was signing his USAA stuff and I, <laughs> I went up and I thanked him for it because most people don't have USAA insurance if they've not been in the military that's right and uh, it's just I, I appreciate now the fact that veterans like yourself are getting the recognition that you deserved 30 years ago, 40 years ago, coming back from Vietnam. And uh, it, uh, you know, if I personally, in, in being in the business and so forth, if I have a real crunch against anybody, it was probably Walter Cronkite and in my opinion was no hero in the news media or any place else and 
back then the networks if they could have done more harm i don't know how they could have figured it out uh that you know the nightly body bag count of all the stupid things just i mean i would see that and just you know totally shake my head and and uh that's we're wondering where our news media is today well that's when we lost it because they weren't i was in a i was at a radio station uh back in the 60s that if i had given my opinion on air i wouldn't have i'd have been fired in a heartbeat and yet today that's all we have we don't have news we have opinions that plane went down because of some reason but it went down you know and they don't go into uh, they don't go in it's not news it's not a newscast it's an opinion cast. it's just one opinion too one it's opinion. not a mixture yep. and it, it's either that announcer or that producer that's making him read what he's written and it's a shame and that's uh, uh, Vietnam turned a lot of things around mm-hmm. um during the during Vietnam, the Chicago riots and stuff, I, 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 I was in my early teens when all that was going on, and thought, you know, how can our country? I didn't understand, quite frankly. We were we were pretty open for a country being at war like that, so I think uh, there was some outside interests that also came in uh, that you couldn't tell them from an American that mixed in with the populist and 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 caused a lot of that those problems. And Walter Cronkite definitely is not a favorite of any of the Vietnam veterans by a long shot. Oh. He uh, just we just no sooner came back from that bloody Tet Offensive where we actually gave the enemy a bloody nose and they were pretty well up against the ropes and Walter Cronkite says he didn't he didn't think we could prevail in the Vietnam War and here we just lost 17,000 guys in 1968 to prove him wrong and he and of course he speaks to millions yep um, we're going to have to take a break I'm, I was sitting here talking when I should have been listening but I do that frequently particularly when I like who I have on and what we're talking about. We'll be back with Tom Foster, a Vietnam veteran, on David's Pick right after this. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to America's Web Radio and David's pick. And my pick today is Mr. Tom Foster, Vietnam veteran. How many tours did you serve, Tom? I just served one. Just one. One, and it was a short one, believe it or not, but it was a very, uh, very active one. (laughs) You know, and if I were to imagine... You saw things in Nam that you never anticipated ever seeing in your life. They were uh, there were some dandy uh, th- things occurring daily. We were fighting almost on a daily situation there. Very little rest, and uh, I mean, uh, I used to tell my dad, "Hey, they had nothing on us in Guadalcanal because we we fought just as hard as any of those guys." You know. You know the uh, the other thing that. Uh, friends that came back from Vietnam we've talked about and I'm not going to go into detail but my best friend he and I were college roommates and then when he came back from Nam we were roommates for a while and and I still talk to him on a frequent occasion we're just good friends and uh he was many, many, many years ago to tell you what kind of guys he was a golden glove champ of Texas, and so he was he didn't mind getting into a fight by any means, but good for him uh, he was a platoon leader, and uh you know something that the American public I don't think could handle, and I still don't think they could handle them handle the truth. And so I understand, 
I don't want to say cover up, but just uh, it's not not as much lying as they just uh, some things are not brought out. And thank goodness some things were not brought out during Vietnam. But um, my friend has told me many stories about when they would dress up in black and uh, wear the black pajamas of sorts and uh, go into villages and make it look like the Viet Cong was tearing up the village. If they knew they had a, a village that was supporting the Viet Cong, then they'd go in and wipe it out. And, uh, you know, I don't know of any better way to say it than to say it, and that is that the United States, there's a lot of us that think we're saints, but we ain't any more saints than the other guy is a lot of times. And, uh, you know, uh, so did you ever experience some of that or know what? No, we were straight infantry, mechanized infantry, too. We fought on tracks and stuff. I never saw any. That would have to be some special unit, uh, special forces, some CIA guys. Maybe there was a few SEALs over there in Vietnam, but very few. Something like that had to do that or something sponsored maybe by the Vietnamese government. We had one uniform, and that was that old green thing you saw us wearing, <laughs> and a flak jacket and a steel pot, and that was my uniform. They they don't even call them fatigues anymore. <laughs> I don't know what they call them, but yeah, that's right. Uh, we had jungle fatigues. They were supposed to be a little more modern than the old cotton ones. Yeah. So when you it got uh, it dry off quickly if they got wet with sweat, and they do that every day. And you got uh, different kind of boots back then, too. I had jungle boots, uh, yes, jungle sir. Boots, yeah. yeah, They were a little cooler than the others, and they could get wet and wouldn't get stiff and dry and, and cause your feet blisters. Nothing worse. It was uh, an interesting interesting and sad war. You know, and, and I guess one of the things that uh, you all didn't have in Vietnam, which... Uh, they they had obviously in Afghanistan and and uh, the desert wars now uh, is the cell phone and is the insta and I've thought many many times about my dad when he was in the Navy in yeah. World War Two, you know it would be two weeks three weeks six weeks oh yeah or two months for a letter to find where it was going either direction really you know and. Uh, you know, I, I could imagine just standing there waiting for mail call, and now you can pick up your telephone and there it is. There it is, yeah. and uh, that's that's. Well, let me ask. That brings me to another point. In your experience in in Vietnam, how was the morale? Um, the mail that you were talking about yeah. there had something to do with the morale, sure. if you know what I mean. A letter from Susie Q from mom and dad, something like that, to cheer you up a little bit. We even used to swap letters. Um, we we didn't have any cell phones. I made one phone call um, each time I was wounded. I was wounded twice. I got back to the hospital where there was a phone, and I was allowed to make a phone call there. Second time, the same thing, and that was it. Um, a, a piece of mail, you would just write free on there. You didn't have to have a stamp, a real benefit for us. Huh? And I could send that out to my folks. It would be there in five or six days. Then they'd send one to me five or six days the other way. And I used to cherish mail. Oh, I had a cousin sent me a letter every day I was there. How nice. And whoever was uh, 
the uh, platoon sergeant or whoever was hollering out names with mail, and uh, I bet the thought went through your head more than once. Check that sack again. I know there's one down there for me. Oh, yeah. That (laughs) That was our goal, if there was anything. That was our touch back with the world. And that's what we're supposed to be fighting for. You know, Tom, I think this is, um, like I said uh, again out in the lobby, that to have a person as a senator or as a U.S. representative or even serving in uh, uh, an appointed position in government, if they haven't done been there and done that I'm not sure I feel like they have a right to determine what you're going to wear what you're going to carry as a weapon Uh, uh, the one that really kills me is engagement terms of engagement and uh, I just unless somebody has and, and I don't mean to be speaking out of turn because I haven't been faced with what you were faced with by any means but still, it, you know, they should go through basic. They should go through six months of AIT or something or basic training, whatever, before they should be able to tell the man out wearing the boots what he or she should do. Um, Agree 100%. Uh, however, during our war, there was still quite a few World War II's in, uh, veterans in Congress. Uh, now... I shoot one out of fifty, maybe something like that. Well, I think it's much less than that. Uh, That's sad, much, isn't it? Much less than that. Yeah. And uh, I, I think this is a, a terrible mistake. And you know, it's sort of like voting against NASA. Uh, NASA and uh, back in the '60s and '70s did more for R and D. Oh yeah. Than anything that's ever happened in the United States and President Kennedy being able to say we're going to the moon and uh, we did by golly Mm -hmm. and it spurred on you know I just can't believe anybody could be against it and uh, they'll give to killing babies but they won't give to R&D and keep us ahead of the game so that that NASA uh, not just made uh parts for space and so on but a lot of the stuff they invented in that area went to the military first sure and that was great and to shut that off for the last 10 years like it has been a serious mistake well you know it seems that one party is convinced that uh, we should give it all away and do nothing and thank goodness we've got a president that says we should do something and not give it, give it away, but think of ourselves first. And uh, I totally believe in that. And uh, supporting, we're supporting a lot of Republicans now and certainly support the administration. And if that rubs you the wrong way, you look at what he's done compared to what anybody else has done. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's right up there with Reagan and all of them. Yep. Might even be ahead might even be ahead yeah so with that being said um well okay it's uh how many years later 70 it's uh so 39 40 years i guess mm-hmm. um have we turned it around 
We're trying. We're trying very hard. I didn't know the enemy was so formidable, but when they have the media and stuff with them, it makes them sound almost like a majority. But I know well they aren't. You know, it's amazing that, uh, like we were talking about Cronkite and stuff, that just a few words, the effect of a few words can have on on the population. And, you know, we... uh, again said it many many times we have more power for education today than we've ever had the computer is just absolutely incredible in my opinion and you can look up almost anything you want and we don't do a show here i don't think that with a little education a lot of things could be changed around i mean incredible things could be turned around but we're too lazy to do it, and uh, we've got this situation with vaping now, killing, uh, it's killed six people or seven people now. We've got the drug situation, and uh, uh, hey, the I, dumbing down of America the is occurring. America. It's right on target. Yes, sir. Absolutely right, and uh, as I mentioned again out in the lobby, uh, the idea of rewriting history um, they call that history revisionism, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked at a uh, social studies book uh, from middle school, and there were three pages in the history book about World War II. Unbelievable. Probably none about Vietnam. And I think, you know, maybe a page, a page and a half. So, and it just, it just, I don't know. I, I've never seen it like this. But the good, there's a good side of the story, too. And it's people like you, the, the organizations and associations that have come out of it that are supporting the veteran and it's again i want to mention uh, because it's a it's rick has done more for it than anybody can imagine and and Paul he's got Robert an a plus in my book yes sir <laughs> and uh that is the georgia military hall of fame and uh everybody that's uh in Atlanta should go down to it. It's downtown. It's across from the Capitol. And um, if you're touring the South, coming to Atlanta, put that on the list. It's a lot better than the Atlanta Zoo. (laughs) While you're down there at that part, uh, then just step across the street and tour the National Infantry Museum down there at Fort Benning. That's excellent, too. Excellent. been, uh, you know, I used to love going to the museum at Fort Benning, yeah. and uh, you know, <laughs> I guess. Well, and I, I've said this about a lot of things and uh, classic car industry and everything else. But and I guess it's because I've got such a big nose. But you walk into the museum in Fort Benning, and there's just that military smell. <laughs> you know what I'm? Yeah, surely. About. Yes. Whether it's the. Yep. Whether it's the ammo belt or whatever it happens to be, there's a certain aroma and that goes with it. And you can go into an armory, you can go into anything that's military, and there's that certain smell. And uh, so, how, like I said, I was very claustrophobic, and I still am very claustrophobic, and would have not done well as a tunnel rat. But um, the old APCs. They were pretty claustrophobic in themselves. We we didn't fight in them. We fought on them. 
So yeah. that was a little more protection in case a mine hit them or something. But yeah, they were some fine targets for an RPG-7. In five months, I went through three of them. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, at one mine and two RPGs. And some did uh, damage uh, to the tracks, and some did both to the personnel and the track. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go online and Google um, Armored Personnel Carrier. Yeah, M113 Armored Personnel Carrier. You'll see them. And, uh, and again, I, I, you know, we, we went into that war and initially into the Desert War. Uh, not knowing, you know, I don't want to say we didn't know what we are doing, but it's hard not to say that in that we went into into Vietnam and uh, if you wanted a badge of courage or you wanted a badge of stupidity it was the brass railroad tracks or the brass lieutenant the one bar the yeah. butter bar <laughs> and made such good targets and then they did we did the same thing and then I guess Vietnam was where we came out with the camouflage uh, insignias and uh, yes they finally made them dark yeah so you couldn't see them mm -hmm. uh, the black and they couldn't pick off the uh, the officers as well and then we we did the other thing with uh, tracks uh, in <laughs> particularly in uh, the in desert storm where we had, we still had some of the OD green <laughs> equipment going in yeah. and we finally wised up that maybe we ought to paint them brown and light brown and camouflage those suckers yeah and we did. We we learn. We're just sometimes a little slow to learn, I guess. It's expensive, that slowness, too, if you know what I mean. Because oh, yeah. those tracks that we had in Vietnam, I can remember, uh, ours were just wide open. You sat up there on that fifty caliber, and there was nothing in front of you. There were protection on the side and the back, but nothing in front of you. Then, as I went around Vietnam on our tracks chasing the enemy around, I saw some other tracks that had a nice shield on the 50 and all those good things. Well, we didn't have that luxury by a long shot, and it cost us too. Sure. This is sort of not a fair question, but and I give you a little bit of time to think about it, but um, one thing in Vietnam, what would, you, what would that one thing be that do you that you always say or you always think about first and well I lost a good buddy uh, on my armor personnel carrier and he was uh, he was more or less uh, um, playing around when he shouldn't have been and it cost him his life that that kind of stuff like that and a real good friend of mine he was a medic and uh, oh I knew him if I would have got home uh, we would have called each other up we'd be going out uh, uh, fishing and hunting, I'm sure today, but uh, he uh, he just made he just can't afford any mistakes when there's people out there trying to kill you. If you know what I mean, you know, Tom, you just brought up an interesting thing, and uh, our guest next week will be talking about this as well. And I don't think you could praise people any higher than the medics. Um, and, uh, and a lot of them, and a lot of the public doesn't understand this or, or didn't even know about it, actually, but a lot of the medics that served in Vietnam were conscientious objectors, and uh, they didn't want to carry a weapon, but they were as brave and as hardy and as heroic mm -hmm. as any group going. They went through, they went probably down to Fort Sam Houston, 
uh, went to medic school in San Antonio, and um, then they would ship over to Vietnam, and their protection was a little bag that had the Red Cross on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, like he said, you were wounded a couple of times, and the first thing out of the mouth of the guy that was next to you was medic and yelling for a medic to come treat his friend and treat his brother that's just been wounded and those medics just like the just like i was saying about the the dust off uh, pilots they they went in the line of fire to help their brother I lost two good medics over there, and you had to be very careful. One was that accident that happened, uh, but uh, two others there. Uh, somebody else, medic, you don't let your medic go out there until we've taken care of the problem that, that, that happened, if you know what I mean. But they would just blindly go right out there. A, a couple times I heard it, and it was very sad. And you hear this pop, and there went my medic. And that's before uh, before the enemy was taken care of, if you know what I mean. They, that's how uh, gung ho and how much they just wanted to save us. They were they were some very very dedicated folks. And they were, uh, you know, they were labeled back in the states when they would file for to be a conscientious objector. Uh, they were fi- they were called cowards and every other name on the book, and yet they were the ones. God knows, I don't think there's any book written about them uh, how many lives they saved but it was thousands and thousands of mm-hmm, lives mm-hmm. that they saved and they'd jump on the uh, evacs too and uh, so you bring an interesting perspective we've had a we've uh, there's always an interesting perspective coming from an NCO as opposed to an officer because <laughs> it, I might be a little bit prejudiced towards the NCO side, but uh, no, the officers, uh, they were great officers. Sure. And I, I don't think, let me ask you, coming out of Colorado and, and going basically straight to, to Nam, were you prepared? As best I could, as best I could. Nobody's really uh, prepared for mortal combat. Uh, but you know, you you go over to Vietnam. They give you a little jungle school too about booby traps and stuff like that. And then you go into a unit, and in that unit, every single guy that's in that unit has been there a day to a year longer than you. So it's kind of like OJT. Yeah, that's the way they did it, and it, it wasn't a bad idea. You you could not be prepared totally for what we did over there. It was heavy, heavy fighting and. The, I'd say the lack of sleep was one of the things that used to get to you, you know. Just no sleep at all. You'd be so tired until that bullet went over your head, and then, boy, you were up and ready to go. Do you think uh, we had the right supplies? Um, Yeah, to a certain extent. um, Our infantry weapons for our guys were no better, though, than the uh, infantry weapons for the enemy. They had that AK-47, and they had that RPG-7, which were some dandy weapons. And with that, they'd usually pick on our straight-leg infantry, and then we'd come to their rescue. Because uh, the M-16 and the law was no better than those by a long shot. They didn't have the starlight scopes that we had, though. No, but, and the starlight was just fairly good. They would... Uh, they'd outline green out there. But, uh, um, yeah, they were... They were re- 
better than nothing for, for a long <laughs> shot, but nothing like our uh, uh, goggles we got today. Oh, they're incredible. And, uh, yeah. you know, we uh, years after Vietnam, thank goodness, R&D, research and development, came along answering questions that were raised in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and we got the answers. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Tom Foster, Vietnam veteran and, in my opinion, a, a hero, and also an inductee in the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. We'll be right back right after this. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on David's Pick on America's Web Radio with our special guest today, Georgia Military Hall of Fame inductee. What, did it come out, Sergeant? E5, E6? E4, actually. E4. E4. I was only in Vietnam about five months, okay? I was uh, uh, given rank. Uh, OJT on the job training as it would be E5, E6 but uh, the CO when he told me to take over the platoon or take over a couple of the squadrons um, CO never made it back home, back to base camp to uh, make those changes so therefore officially I was an E4 Um, but I had the responsibility uh, you wouldn't believe yeah, just you know I was combat trained and there and he just say foster you take over the platoon or take over those two uh, squads and uh, i'd say okay and then one time i said well sir i said uh, you know you're giving these positions that e4 a, a spec four doesn't usually carry them oh i get back in base camp i'll change it immediately he never made it 
Hmm. Yeah. Well, you're the only veteran that I've had in here that uh, I outrank. I was I was an A five, so uh, good for you. <laughs> that was, that was, Rank which, didn't mean a lot. It was no, mostly experience no, when I was in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they wanted Not the guy only, to get them through alive. That's it. That, that was it for sure. Um, tell me more about the Georgia Military Hall of Fame from not only being an, an inductee, but, um, you know, it's being copied now by a number of other states. And uh, mm-hmm. as Rick will say, uh, Colonel Rick, as I call him, mm-hmm. um, or sir, uh, and people can't believe, you know, it's changed so much. Uh, when you and I were in, you didn't call an officer by rank. You called him sir. Yeah. Period. That was mm-hmm. it. And you call him by rank, and who the hell are you to be calling me yeah. captain or colonel or anything That's else? That's right. That's right. You call me sir. And much less would a sergeant or, or anybody, any enlisted person, go up and say, sir, could I buy you a drink? You didn't, you didn't, asso- officers didn't associate with non coms, and uh, non commissioned officers didn't associate with. Officers, uh, that was just there was a segregation that they don't have today. I mean, yeah. uh, my son has good NCO friends, sure. and uh, vice versa. And uh, you couldn't even go to the same bars, if I recall. The officers had their officers' club. EM had their club. And same way, even with golf courses. Yeah, isn't that you something? Had, uh, the NCO golf course, and you had the officers' golf course, mm-hmm. and Oak Club, and. And uh, NCO club, and uh, so things have changed uh, a lot. But you know, as we mentioned a minute ago, though, uh, today or yesterday, it's still the biggest fraternity and sorority going. And uh, I, I like yourself. If I'm at the airport, I make it a point to buy any uniformed person their meal. Pick up their tab. That's the yep. best you can do. And, and thank them. And thank them. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes I will and sometimes I won't thank them. And the reason being is that I do it out of my heart, not to get thanked by them for, well, right. thank you for buying my dinner. No, sure. that's not why I did it. That's right. I'm doing it because I respect you and you're serving our country, not my country, but our country, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't deserve any acknowledgement for doing something that I wanted to do. So sure. sometimes it depends on the situation, but sometimes I'll just tell the waitress or waiter, just you know, don't don't even point out who did it, just do it, and here's the money. So things have changed. Yes, and that Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame is is quite an instrument of change. It is. Uh, a lot of people think it's just valor that they pick guys on, but believe it or not, uh, achievement and service are two others. And uh, in my class, this will blow your mind, I had a guy named Zell Miller and a guy named Sam Nunn. Now, they weren't in there for valor. They were in there for service. But that's quite a thing, isn't it? So they, they picked the best of the best, I think, all the way around. It's uh, if you haven't gone to it, and we're we're going to keep 
throwing it out every, at least every Thursday, if not more frequently. In fact, we're going to get Rick back in here to do some PSA announcements that, oh, yeah. about uh, the uh, Georgia Military Hall of Fame. And, you know, I, I well, I, I got to ask you one question because I, I really think I know the answer. And you know, keep in mind that we are censored here. So, uh, uh, but how do you. How do you like the guys that take a knee? Uh, or just like on our flag, just like Walter Walter Cronkite, the <laughs> same thing. Oh yeah, they. Uh, um, <laughs> you think all kinds of things when you see them down there, if you know what I mean. But I won't say it here. But you know, they're basically doing the enemy a great favor there. They got the greatest country in the world, and they're just spitting all over it. And that's not good. Well, I tell you what, there are a couple of ladies in the representatives in the U.S. House that they should put their towel heads on and go back. They yes. don't like it here, then get the hell out of here. Agree. And uh, I don't mind Cortez and Omar. They're garbage, in my opinion. And it's not First Amendment right when they say the things that they say. That's it's, right. In my opinion, opinion it's treasonous. And... Uh, you know, I don't not not promoting them being hurt or anything. Just I just like to see a couple of. I was thinking about this morning. See a couple of good sized Marines, <laughs> one on each side, escorting them to the Atlantic, and telling them to keep walking. Now, when you make sure that's female Marines. Yeah, <laughs> no, oh, yeah, yeah, you, we gotta be you wouldn't dare correct. put two men there. You know, yeah, yeah, two well, female sorry, Marines right. just come with us. You're right. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. That oh, would yeah, that wouldn't look good incorrect. at all. No. <laughs> but, yes, I would I would like to see them escorted and told to keep walking when they got to the edge of the Atlantic. Me too, and that's the same way with us during uh, Vietnam, the communism. Hey, just go on over there to Russia if you think it's so great. Yeah. Go on over there. Have a look. They didn't have a clue, and Mark that's China, sad. as far as that goes. China, there was a bunch of them. Cuba, yep. You know, again, an unforetold story, but I, I said it earlier, and, and I've talked to a bunch of friends that are veterans, and, you know, generally speaking, I don't know whether uh, the United States or the populace could handle the truth all the time, but I, again, had a roommate at one time that had been a SEAL in uh, Vietnam, but he, he was the damnedest guy I've ever met in my life. He was a, uh, was a linguist. And um, oh, yeah. Jerry had the ability, and I've never seen anybody like this, but I saw it in action at a steak and ale one night. But he could go in, and he didn't speak every language in the country or in the world, but he understood it. He could go sit down. We went to steak and ale one night, and he didn't speak Spanish, never taken a Spanish class in his life, and there was a Spanish-speaking table across from us. And uh, in a few minutes, he could, he was telling me what they were saying. Interesting. And and he he was the same way in Vietnam. And uh, Jerry would be let off off the shore of China. And just what he did would scare me to death. But <laughs> he was let off by submarine off the shore of China. By himself? By himself. Oh, and he would swim into China, 
and set up a listening post by himself, mm-hmm. and he could pick up, I don't know how many dialects they have, I, I have no clue really, but he could pick up whatever he was listening to and translate it, and then, you know, two weeks later or a week later or whatever the plans were, he'd swim back out to that location and be picked up by a submarine and head back and be uh, go through a grilling of, of uh, what he had found out. That's and, something. Uh, you know, and I never knew anything like that was happening, nor did many people. But this was that was his job as a SEAL, and because he was a, a linguist, and yeah. just it's sort of like a person being able to. And I'm always jealous of sit down at a piano and play play the piano by ear. You know, mm-hmm. and Jerry just had this incredible knack for languages and. Uh, the they had LPs in Vietnam also, listening posts, yeah. and they did sort of the same thing. Yeah. I don't know if it was... And, again, the, these are things that um, we really know nothing about. <laughs> and, you know what? I'm about to mess up and, and go too long, and it's time. Here comes the guy that's going to beat me over the head with a ruler. <laughs> Tom Foster... Thank you for coming, and thank you for your service in Vietnam, and thank you for being in the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you for having me, and God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to America's Web Radio and David's Pick. We'll be back with more right after one word, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.